Man, those guys were working it, right? Awesome. Hey, everybody. It is great to see you today. I'm so glad you came out to join us as we kicked off our brand new series called Unstuck. We're, we have a great message for you today, and you, you all know why we're doing this series, right? Because we all know stuck happens, right? I mean, people get stuck all the time. Some people, they get stuck in a broken relationship. Some people get stuck in a bad financial situation. Some people get stuck in an addiction that they can't break free. And some people get stuck in the workplace. In fact, that's why we're kicking off our series this morning. Our very first message is, what do you do when you find yourself stuck in a dead-end job? In fact, we have an outline for our message today. It's a light blue sheet found in your program. Let me encourage you to take this out and use it to follow along. All the verses from the Bible that we're looking at are printed there for you. And there's a place to take some notes if that is helpful for you. Now, can I say this? If you're here today and you love your job, I mean, you're energized. I mean, you wake up on Monday morning. You can't wait to get to work. Man, if that's you... Could you get me a job application? <laughs> Could you put in a word? No, I'm kidding, kidding. Can, can I say, if you find a lot of meaning and purpose and excitement for your work, can I tell you, man, you should thank God because you're in the minority. In fact, a recent poll, a Gallup poll, tells us that 70% of all Americans hate their stupid job. That's, I mean, that's their own words. And, and what, what this article that, the, when Gallup wrote this, what they found is most people say this about their job. They're disengaged. They're demotivated, discouraged. They're, they're just working for the weekend. They're, they're doing what I call the zombie shuffle. I mean, they're, they're there in body, but they're just going through the motions and their heart is not in it. I mean, I, mean, I, I think of the DMV. <laughs> I think of the post office. I think, I, I, think of the, I think of the pastor who actually quit his job, left the ministry, and became a mortician. I mean, you, you remember this guy, right? He, he was asked, well, why did you leave the church? Why did you stop doing ministry? He said, you know, being a pastor is so discouraging. It's so demotivating. I helped this one guy, Joe. He was addicted to drugs and worked with him six months, and then six months later, he's back on drugs. I was working for, with this one couple, uh, Bob and Susie, and they were having marriage problems. I worked with them, and then six months later, they get divorced anyways. He said, I quit that job because now as a mortician, once I straighten someone out, they stay straightened out. Now, now guys, here's why I tell you that joke, because a lot of people, they think like, like the pastor, hey, if, if you hate your job so much, why don't you just quit? Why not just get another job, go back to school, find a different vocation? And, and I wish it was that simple, right? But we all know, just by the fact that you live in the Bay Area, we all know that, that the high cost of living, the demanding job market, most people stay stuck in a dead-end job for two key reasons, fear and financial pressures, Right? The financial pressures of, hey, man, I got to pay my rent. I got some bills are due. And then the fear of, hey, if I quit my job, there's no guarantee I'm going to find another job. In this job market, I feel stuck. I feel locked in. And across the board, there are people in all kinds of professions that they get stuck in a job that just, 
that just sucks the life right out of them. Guys, can I tell you, here's the crazy part. People who get stuck in a dead-end job, they end up giving the majority of their hours, the majority of their days, the majority of their one and only life stuck in this pattern where they end up frustrated and discouraged. And then they wonder why (laughs) things never get better. I wonder if things will ever change. And can I tell you, it's crazy. It's insane. In fact, on your outline on the top, the first thing I want you to write down is the definition of insanity. Doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. Well, he may be sitting here and saying, oh, that's all well and good, but what's the solution? What's the answer? How do I, what do I do when I find myself stuck in a dead-end job where fear and financial pressure has me so locked in, I don't even know where to start? Well, can I encourage you today to start with the sole solution? The sole solution? It's the right place to start regardless if it's a problem of pain or whatever mess you find yourself in. Would you write this down? The sole solution every time is to start with God. Start with God. Let me see if I can explain it this way. You know, in my work, I do a lot of typing. I mean, I'm typing emails, work documents. I even, I even type up my message. And this is what I know. When I learn to type, here's the cool thing. When you learn to type, the first thing they teach you is the correct starting place, where you rest your fingers. And then once you train your fingers where to go and you get good at typing, I know people that can type, they don't even need to look at the keyboard. They are so good because they train their hands. But can you imagine what would happen if you got distracted or if you got so busy, you put your fingers in the wrong starting point? You start typing and then you look at your paper or you look at the screen and you go, man, that doesn't make any sense. That's just a mess. Well, friends, now you know why 70% of Americans hate their stupid job. That's why so many people find themselves stuck in a a dead-end job because they just started in the wrong place. Like, instead of starting with God, they didn't, like, God, you made me. God, you love me. God, you have a plan for my life. God, what do you want me to do? What did you make me to do with my life? Instead of starting there, where do most people start? It's up to me. I got to find a career. I got to find a job so that I can make money so that I can pay my bills so that I can. And then here's what happened. They just start typing away, working away. And then they look out there. They didn't start in the right place. And so when they look back on the screen of their life, it's a mess. And it doesn't make sense. And friends, believe me, when you don't start with God, there, when, there's a, when there's a disconnect between your work and your worship, between your career and your creator. I I think philosopher Albert Camus said it well on the screen behind me when he says this, life goes rotten without work. Like we were made to work. Work is a really good thing. Life goes rotten without work, and yet life stifles and dies when work becomes soulless. Is your soul in your work? Now, you may be thinking, well, Pastor Paul, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor. Of course your soul is in your work. You work for the church. Well, can I say a couple of things here? First of all, I've met many a pastor 
who has actually lost their soul on the altar of ministry. I've met pastors who got so busy doing the work of the Lord that they forgot the Lord of the work. The second thing I tell you is I haven't been a pastor all my life. 52 years old. I took some time in preparing for this message. I wrote down every job I've ever had. 17, 18 different jobs. Do you know that I've had a lot? I mean, I've worked for, you know, painting houses, worked for uh, UPS, worked for the YMCA. I was a parking lot attendant. One of the best jobs I ever had, by the way. I did a lot of all these different jobs. Can I tell you? Different bosses, different work situations. But the one thing that was always the same, I always had the same heart when it came to my work. In fact, that's why I love this quote from Mother Teresa so much. It says this, it's not, it's, it's not what you do so much that matters, but how much love you put into it. You see, it's so easy to think, especially when you're stuck. Man, if I could just land the right job, get the right boss, get the right salary, then I'll finally be happy and everything will fall into place. But can I gently remind you of the words of Jesus who showed us why it's so important to start with God and make sure that your career stays connected to your creator? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew, on, on there on your outline, in Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said, and how do you benefit if you gain the whole world I mean, you get a great job, great salary, so you can buy a great house, have a great car. But how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? Guys, today I'm so excited because I'm going to share with you how not only to get unstuck from a dead-end job, but more than that, I'm going to share with you how to get your soul back in the process. And I know I can help you, and here's why. Because I want to tell you, I'm LinkedIn. I'm networked. I know a guy. I know a guy who is an expert in helping people get unstuck. I know a guy who specializes in helping people get a new beginning and a fresh start. And guess what? He's, he's here today. And his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, God's one and only son. Man, he specializes in helping people get unstuck. For example, this one guy named Matt. Matt was stuck in greed and materialism, and it drove him to isolation and to have new friends. But Jesus took this guy, Matt, he got him unstuck and became one of Jesus' very best friends. This other guy, his name was Bart, and Bart was stuck in blindness. And Jesus got him unstuck and gave him his sight back. This other lady, her name was Martha, and she was stuck in grief and sadness over the death of her brother Lazarus. And Jesus showed her firsthand that he was the resurrection and the life. And he got her unstuck and lifted her out of hopelessness. Now, you may think, well, Pastor Paul, those, are, those stories are, you know, they're nice. They're back in the day, back in the Bible. But like, how does that relate to my real problems in my real life today? Well, can I tell you this very day, as I stand before you, there is a time I was stuck. I was stuck in anger and defensiveness, and Jesus set me free, gave me my soul back. And I want you to look around this room, because when I look around this room, I see story after story after story of people who can stand up and say, I was stuck. My life was a mess, and Jesus came, and he got me unstuck, 
And he gave me my soul back in the process. In fact, let me give you one modern day example. You know, about 80 years ago, there was this hopeless drunk named Bill. And Bill hit rock bottom. In fact, his addiction got so bad it landed him in jail and he lost his job. And the doctor even told his wife, Lois, that she had three choices. She can either uh, like have him locked up, watch him go insane, or just let him die. In fact, it got so bad for Bill that he got so desperate that he felt like, I, there, I, there's nothing else I can do. So guess what he did? He went to church. And in church, he met, he met a guy. And the guy's name was Jesus. And can I tell you what Jesus did for Bill? 2 Corinthians 5.17 on the screen behind me. This is what Jesus did. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus got Bill unstuck from his alcohol addiction, made him a new person, and from that started a new thing that we all know today as Alcoholics Anonymous. See, as Bill put his trust in Christ, he started taking these little simple steps that he saw in the Bible. You all know that AA involves steps, right? How many steps do they have in Alcoholics Anonymous? The 12-step program, right? Well, this guy, Bill, who started Alcoholics Anonymous, he'd tell you the 12 steps came from the 12 apostles and the power of Jesus to to change a life, help someone get unstuck, and give them their soul back. You You can read about that. Now, the reason I'm telling you Bill's story is because... These steps from AA, they don't just help someone stuck in an addiction. They can help you if you're stuck in a dead-end job. In fact, I want you to see the first three steps on the screen behind me, and let's talk about them. First three steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Number one, we admitted that we were powerless over what? Alcohol. Alcohol, our addiction, our problem, our job situation. Step one. I admit I'm powerless. Step number two, come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Like I can't fix it, but God can. God has the power. And step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Like instead of me trying to do it myself, God, you take control. You drive Jesus. You be Lord of my life. And friends, when you do that, you get unstuck and you get your soul back. See, here on your outline, here's the soul solution. Here's how you start with God. You humbly come before your heavenly Father, and you say, God, I'm stuck. I'm a mess, and I can't fix it myself. But I believe that you're here, that you care, and that you have the power to help me. So the best way I know how, I turn over control of my life to your loving care and your leadership and Jesus come in and and help me and make me a new person. And friends, when you open up your life to the love of Jesus Christ, here's what will happen to you. Jesus will forgive your sins. He'll adopt you into his family. He'll give you the gift of eternal life, but he will actually come by his Holy Spirit and live in your heart. And you will have a new power source to face your problems, get unstuck, and get your soul back. It's Christ in you. That's why I love Philippians 4.13 on your outline so much. Here's what it says. I can. 
I can get unstuck. I can change. I can do all things, now catch this, through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. Like Christ becomes the power source. He becomes the source of strength to face your problems. He's the Savior who's the expert in fresh starts, new beginnings. Now, let's be very real here today. I mean, as your pastor, I want to tell you, I get it. I understand that there are so many things in your work world that you have no power over. You don't have control. You don't have power. You don't have the ability to call the shots, make the decision. You have no control over. And that's when when you look at that situation, that's when you employ what's called the serenity prayer. Do you know it? Well, I printed it on your outline. It goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I know that there are a lot of things in your work life you you can't change, that you don't have control or power over. But can I tell you, with Christ, you have some power to make some changes that come Monday morning. When you walk back into the workplace, there are four personal changes that you can, that you can make that will help you get unstuck with your soul intact. So let's talk about them there on your outline. Changes I can make to my job situation. You know, the first, the first thing that you can absolutely change, number one, is I can change my boss. I had some of you are going, man, I wish, I wish. I mean, some of you, the main reason you're stuck in a dead-end job is, man, you love what you do and you're actually good at it, but your boss is a jerk, right? You, you work for a bad boss. Someone once said, you know the difference between the Pope and a bad boss? Is the Pope only expects you to kiss his ring. I I, I know, I know, I know, I'm in trouble. Let let, let me tell you this one. David Brent gives this advice. He said, for those of you with a bad boss, if your boss is getting you down, look at him through the prongs of a fork and just imagine him in jail. And you'll feel a lot better, you know? You can, like, uh, you know. Now, if, if you're sitting here today and you have a bad boss, I, I just have to be honest with you, I, I can't relate to that at all. I, I Totally, I can't relate because for the last 35 years, I've had the same boss, and he's awesome. He's a great boss. My boss, man, he's so encouraging. My boss... He loves me. He lifts me up. He challenges me. My boss, he appreciates what I do. He cheers me on when I'm doing good. He gives me grace when I mess up. My boss, he corrects me when I get off track. And he gives me great advice on how to do better in my job and in my life. My boss, he doesn't just care about what I do for him or his company. Man, he cares about me and my health and my family. And on top of that, my boss, he's always giving me these, these extra bonuses and these words of wisdom. Do you see, 35 years ago, I accepted Christ as the Lord of my life. And Jesus became my king. Jesus became my boss. Now listen to me, please. This is so key because over the years, I've, I've had to report to other people. I've had other direct supervisors who had authority over me. But I always knew who my real boss was. 
I always knew who owned the company and who owned me and who ultimately signed my paycheck. And I'm encouraging you that the first step that you can make come Monday morning, you walk into your job, man, just you settle it in your heart. I work for God. I work for God. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Look at uh, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Work hard and cheerfully at all you do as though you are working for the Lord and not merely your masters. Remember, it is the Lord who is going to pay you. He is the one you are really working for. Would you underline the phrase, as though you are working for the Lord? Because I'll tell you, friends, when, when you change bosses and you start working for God, here's what happens. You start to get your soul back. You start to get your energy back. Like some of you, you are giving 100% at work. The only problem is it's like 12% on Monday and 18 on Tuesday and third, you know. But when you start working for God, man, you get your energy back. And it's like the two guys who are building the church out there. And you go ask one. And he said, hey, what are you doing? He said, well, what's it look like I'm doing? I'm laying bricks so I can get paid. You ask the other guy, hey, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm building a beautiful church to the glory of God that's going to touch and change lives for all eternity. I'm working for God. Now, which of those two are you? Like, look in your outline. Look at what it says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, guess what you do most? You work. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Start working for God. Change bosses. The second thing that I can change is I can't change everything. But guess what? Number two, I can change my attitude. I can change my attitude. It's like that 7-Up t-shirt. That little 7-Up logo on the front. It says, I up my attitude. On the back it says, up yours. (laughs) You know, you can decide right now today. You can up your attitude. You can change your attitude. You know, business expert and leadership expert John Maxwell says it this way. My attitude determines my altitude, like how high I will really go in life. And it's funny to me. You know, one time I met this lady. Her job was she worked for a multinational corporation. And her job is she flew all over the country to hire and fire people fascinating lady. I was talking to her. I said, hey, I'm curious. What is, the, what is the number one reason you end up having to fire people? And she said, oh, that's easy. Bad attitude. Cross the board. She said, you would not believe how many people I had to fire. They, they had good skills. They, they were good at what they did, but their attitude, so negative, so criticizing, brought the morale of the whole office down. It doesn't matter how good they are. We had to let them go. Friends, that's why on the screen behind me, it tells you the role that attitude plays. It says a bad attitude, it's like a flat tire. If you don't change it, man, you're going to stay stuck. You're going to stay stuck. And here's the deal. You don't have power over a lot of things in your workplace. You can't change everything. But you absolutely can change your attitude. In fact, the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 4 and 5 on the bottom of your outline. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Underline that phrase, your attitude should be the same as Christ.
Christ Jesus. Now, again, again, just a little little evaluation, a little self-test. You look at your current attitude towards your work, and you put that up next to the attitude of Christ. The attitude of Jesus, which is loving and kind and giving and sacrificial and servant's heart and extra mile and truth-telling, life-giving, compassion, feeding, healing, helping. Do you know that the only person responsible for your attitude is you? And you can choose. You can. And that leads to the third thing. It's so closely related to attitude. But would you write this down? Number three. I can change my emotional intelligence. My emotional intelligence. Now, emotional intelligence is simply the ability to express the appropriate emotions to the appropriate degree to the appropriate persons. And can you understand why this is so important in the workplace? Like how you express your emotions, how you relate to people, your relation, your, your, your people skills. Emotional intelligence. Let me see if I can frame it this way for you. Emotional intelligence goes like this. I want you to think of this building we're building on the front lawn. Can you imagine if you got to be the project manager to build this church? Can you imagine the pride you'd feel knowing when you're finished, man, I just didn't build a building. Man, I built something that's going to help people know God's love. It's going to save a lot of marriages and families, help people's soul, make a difference for me for eternity. Can you imagine if you had the high privilege to be the project manager? Well, can I tell you, there was a project manager. We had a guy, and I don't know how good he was skill level, but can I tell you, he lost that privilege because of a lack of emotional intelligence. He had such a lack of self-control. He had so many anger issues that he started going off on subcontractors. He went off on some of our people. He couldn't control his anger. And in the end, it cost him his job. We just couldn't have him on the side anymore. We said, sorry, I don't care how good you are, you're out. And he lost his job because of a lack, not, not just a job, but the privilege of building something that would make a difference for eternity all over a lack of emotional intelligence. Now, can I tell you, there are many people, they end up stuck in a dead-end job, and then they don't like their boss, and out of frustration and anger, they start taking it out on their coworkers, and then they hit spills over, and then they start taking it out on people that they live with. Can I tell you, do you, do you understand, listen to me, do you understand that your ultimate success in life is vitally connected to your success in your relationships, in in your people skills, and your ability to work with a variety of people. So a famous business and economic giant, Nelson Rockefeller, said this, I pay more for someone who knows how to get along with others than any other skill. Perhaps the best passage on emotional intelligence in all the Bible comes from Ephesians chapter 4. I hope you'll read it this week. Do you know, in Ephesians 4, I put a chunk on your outline. I'd like this to walk through it together. This is what it says. See the emotional intelligence here. It says this. Now, your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Like, don't stay stuck. Keep growing as a person. You know, work on your attitude. Work on your, yourself. And then it says this. Yes, you must be a new and different person. And that comes through 
Christ. Letting Christ work on you from the inside out. Then it's a, now catch this. Stop lying to each other. Tell the truth. Man, that's your integrity. And if you are angry, don't sin by nursing a grudge. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Get over it quickly. Don't use bad language. Say only what is good and helpful to those you are talking to so that it will give them a blessing. Stop being mean, bad-tempered, and angry. Now, emotional intelligence, do you see it? Quarreling, harsh words, and dislike of others should have no place in your lives. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you because you belong to Christ, because Jesus is your boss. And can I tell you, if you want to like grow your emotional intelligence and you're saying, man, I want to live this way. I want to be like this. Here's what you do. Make Jesus your boss. Get really close to him. And all the ways that Jesus treats you, you just pass it on to those you work with and those you live with. And guess what? It will change the way you talk. It will change the way you relate. It will change the way you work. It will up your emotional intelligence. And then the fourth thing that you can change. Can't change everything, right? But you can, you can change your boss. You can change your attitude. You can up your emotional intelligence. You know, the fourth thing you can change is so cool. I can change my job title. I can change my job title. Man, I, I love this so much. Do you know... Famous pastor Rick Warren, who wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Man, he gave a great insight to our work lives when he said these words. He said, it's usually meaningless work, not overwork, that wears us down, saps our strength, and robs our joy. I think a lot of people get stuck in their jobs because they feel like, well, what I, what I, what I do at work doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things. But I want you to think, as you sit here today, I want you to think of your job title. What is your job title today? Cashier, teacher, nurse, bank teller, driver, doctor, engineer, construction worker, project manager, sales director. You think of your current title. Here's the deal. Do you know that when you make Christ the boss of your life, one of the first things he does is he gives you a brand new job title. Do you know what it is? Well, sir, on your outline, take a look. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, we are therefore what? Christ and Bassett. <laughs> if you belong to Jesus, guess what? You're, you're like God's goodwill ambassador. Talk about a great job title. Man, Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. See, I'm God's goodwill ambassador. I represent him in all I say and do. Now, can I tell you, with, with this in mind, your job's not a dead-end job. Could it be that God has divinely placed you exactly where you're at because you may be the only committed Christian in your workplace? Now, let me ask you guys, if, if I showed up at your work, come Monday morning, if I showed up at your work, climbed up on a desk, and I started trying to talk to everybody about Jesus... What would happen? Like, you know what would happen, right? Security, <laughs> security, quick, get this. See, if I showed up, they're going to throw me out on my ear. But guess what? You can walk in Monday morning as God's goodwill ambassador 
And you can even get paid to do it. I mean, you can get paid. Now, when I say God's goodwill ambassador, no, you don't climb up on a desk and start yelling at people about God. You don't start spouting off little Bible verses every time someone does something that bothers you. This is, this is what it means to be God's goodwill ambassador. Here's the deal. I want to ask you, who is it in your workplace who's taking time to pray for the sad employee? Who is it that's taking the initiative to befriend the lonely and, and, and lift up the weary? Who's trying to invite your co-workers to church? Who is it that's taking an interest in their souls? Who is it that's telling them about the incredible gift of forgiveness and eternal life that God makes available to anyone who will trust in his son, Jesus Christ? Can I tell you, come Monday morning, it could be you. It could be you. You could walk through the doors of your work Monday morning with a new boss, a new attitude, a new compassion for those you work with, and a new job title, Christ's ambassador. Now, some of you are going, well, you know, Pastor Paul, that's all well and good, and I wrote down my notes, you know, nice stuff, but let me tell you what I really need. Some of you are going, what I really need is I need a raise. I need a promotion. Anybody here, any of you like a raise? Would any of you like a promotion in the workplace? Well, well, can I tell you, write this down, because I want to talk to you about how you can position your life for promotion. Positioning for promotion. Because I want to ask you, who has the authority to give you a raise right now? Your boss. But who has authority over him? His boss. And what about over him? You know, maybe the owner of the company. But what about over him? And over If you can draw a direct line for who, where you're working, you can draw an authority line and ultimately... It goes back to God. And when God's looking for someone to promote, when God's looking for someone to pour blessings into, let me, let me tell you what Jesus said he's looking for. Look on your outline. Luke 16, 10, Jesus said this. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in promotion. Promotion. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Now, I want to give you a job evaluation right here. I want you to think about your work patterns in the last six months. I mean, you be the boss of you right now, and you do a self-evaluation. You know, how you showed up on time, late, you know, consistent. Uh, the energy you brought to the workplace, the attitude, the relationships, the, the quality. If you were the boss of you, would you hire you? <laughs> Would you promote you? Would you give yourself a raise? Are you in position? Have you, have you been faithful to where you're at today? Guys, I want to I show you a clip of a guy who courageously practiced everything I talked about in this message, and he positioned himself for a promotion. His name is Javier, and man, he made God his boss. He had a great attitude. He had great relationships with people he worked with. And man, he was like, he represented God in the workplace. And it positioned him for promotion. I want you to watch this clip and then we'll come wrap up our message. Take a look. Mr. Martinez, have a seat. 
Thank you, sir. You've been very productive your first month here. You do good work. I'm very grateful to be here. Well, Mr. Martinez, the reason I called you in here is that I'm looking for an additional manager to oversee inventory and shipping. It carries more responsibility, but it pays more. Sound like something you might be interested in? Yes, I would. But before I make my final decision, I'd like for you to work a shift in that department next week. You'll see a list of 17 crates coming in on this sheet. Now, one of those crates will be going to a separate warehouse. Mr. Martinez, when you report the inventory, I'd like for you to report that we received 16 crates. 17 are coming in. But you want me to write down 16? Yes, that's right. I have another purpose for the extra crate. Tell you what. You think about it tonight and give me your answer in the morning. Make it 10 o'clock. But I'll need to know if you really want this job. Good evening, sir. Javi, we need this job. For the first time in a year, we're able to pay the bills. I know, Carmen, but he made it very clear. If I was not a team player, he did not want me there. Maybe it's not wrong. It just looks that way. He's the owner of the factory. He asked me to write down false information, Carmen. He asked me to lie. When do you have to give him an answer? Ten o'clock. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know yet. Please, have a seat. I trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday. Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. But I cannot do as you have asked. And why is that? Because it is wrong, sir. And it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report. Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay. I'd be honored to, sir. Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Oh, and Javier, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. Yes. I want to hire that guy. I want to work with that guy. I want to give that guy a promotion. As we end our message today, I want to end it with something a little different. I, I want to end it with some bubble gum. Because we're doing this whole series, you know, unstuck, and I don't want you to step in gum, but I want you to, like, chew it up, and kind of with that mindset, I want to give you something to chew on with this message. 
fact, as you leave today, we spared no expense. Our ushers will be there. We got double bubble. So we got some good gum for you. But I want you to chew on this. I want you to think about what would your life look like one year from today? In just one year from today, if you fully put your faith in Christ and you said, Jesus, I'm going to make you my boss. I'm going to up my attitude. I'm going to show emotional intelligence and I will do my best like Javi. I'm going to be a goodwill ambassador for you and your name. Man, can I tell you, ultimately, your real boss, this is what he promises you. The last verse on your outline. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord, your ultimate boss, search back and forth across the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are perfect toward him so that he can show his great power in helping them get unstuck. Let's pray together. Lord, first of all, I want to pray for those who are here today who are out of work. And their heart's desires, they're just looking for a job that would meet their needs, but where they could shine for you. And I pray that even this week, you would open up doors of opportunity. And then I pray, Lord, for those who are just doing the zombie shuffle, and they, they're going through the motions, but they're, it's just their job sucking the life out of them. I pray that from Monday morning, that you would help them, Lord that you'd give them a new, fresh start of working for you with the right heart and attitude, and that they would see themselves as your hands and feet, loving the people they work with and shining for you. And then I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would see wherever we go, whether it's work or family or school or errands, that wherever we go, we would be your goodwill ambassadors for Christ's sake. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.